Hello, welcome to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where I explore the lives of veterinary professionals when they are not at work. I want to know what's behind of the surgical mask of the man or the woman who try to help our animals. What are their struggles? What are their passions? Why did they choose the veterinary profession path? Is it as glamorous and fantastic as we've seen in some TV programs? Or is there more to it? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Hello, Kate. Kate is a, a veterinary surgeon. She works in Yorkshire. And um, Kate, wh- whereabouts do you work? Um, I work in West Yorkshire, so it's actually in Weatherby, which is sort of in between Leeds, Harrogate and York. Uh-huh. And are you are you from there or how did you end up there? Yeah, so I actually, I've, I grew up in the area. I've always lived in Yorkshire, um, despite my, my dad's from Scotland and my mum's from Leeds. Um, and I went to university in Edinburgh and then... I actually started, my first job was in North Yorkshire and um, I kind of wanted to do the whole James Herriot thing and as many vets oh, do and be a mixed vet in the countryside but I had done all my work experience at the practice I'm currently at so when a job came up there it was an absolute no-brainer and I love it, I, I love working where I am and I get to see the dogs and the cats and the horses and everything so yeah it's really good, I really love it. So for how long you been there? I have been in my current job for um, just a year and a half now, so yeah, loving it. And uh, you, you really enjoy it, and that, that, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. Do you, do you have animals yourself? Or? I do. I have two dogs. I have Max, who's a five-year-old German Shepherd, and I have Holly, who is an 11-year-old Labrador. I actually also have three horses, which makes me sound really horsey, but it's actually my mum that is horse mad, um, so she loves show jumping and dressage and everything. Oh, I um, see. And they end up sort of getting put on me for all. I think I'm used as a vet to help <laughs> to look after them all, basically. Um, I see. But yeah. Yeah, animals always been in the family, right? Always, yeah. My um, my dad actually used to be a farmer, um, a dairy farmer. So I guess that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to be a vet initially. Um, yes. And my mum studied agriculture. So yeah, animals have always been a massive part of our life. Is that why you became a vet? Yeah. I think so. I think I always, always loved animals, you know, from like, I was a classic from the age of like three, I want to be a vet, this is what I'm going to do. That's <laughs> a lot of vets that are, I guess, aren't they? But um, I worked hard at school because I knew I wanted to do that. I had a slight wobble if I wanted to become a doctor at one point. Um, uh-huh. But no, I, I wanted something that challenged me every day, really, and that I'm a massive nerd. Um, so I wanted something where I was learning all the time, which... You definitely do as a vet, I'm sure you would agree. Um, so, yeah. There is so much. And the more you know, the more you learn, the more you know how how badly you prepare for things. You know, you're thinking, oh, but there is more. Yes, it's, 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 quite, it's quite difficult. Uh, in my in my family, I mean, I'm, I'm Spanish, but when I lived in Spain in my first part of my life, um, yeah, we always had animals. Um, I never, we never had um, a vet in my family. I mean, I have a very extended family, and we never have a vet. And I don't think we had a farmer either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see in, um, in in the people I have uh, interviewed, there are a few that they say, well, my my dad or my mum uh, was a farmer, and that's the reason I became a vet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, do you have any anecdote of being a vet? Any, any anything you want to share? Ah, I of course do. Um, 
I was going to say one of the first, I remember this story because it was my first ever put to sleep. And when I was on call, which you're like, oh gosh, I put to sleep. It's not going to be funny. But it, it was the middle of the night. It was three o'clock in the morning. I remember getting and it was the, the first call. one that you had. First one. Yeah. And I remember this lady reading. She was hysterically crying. Um, she said it was time and that she had discussed it with the vet previously. And I'd only been at this, you know, I'd been a week for what, two, two weeks I'd been a vet. So I was really new. And she said, I want a home PTS. I want you to come to the house and put this dog to sleep. And I said, yeah, of course, no problem. I was trying at, at that time of the morning to sound sensible and not like I'd just woken up up, up out of bed. <laughs> I... <laughs> I drove to her house um, and she had this little pug. It was really old. I mean, it could barely oh. breathe, you know, rolls and rolls of skin all over its face. Um, and she was in hysterics. She was, you know, sobbing and sobbing. So I tried to get through things. I explained what I was going to do. That it was an overdose of general anaesthetic and that he would yeah. pass really peacefully. And I didn't do much of a clinical exam because obviously she was very upset and that the dog was very unwell. Um, yeah. managed to get a, a catheter or cannula into his leg um, and, and do the injection. And then obviously okay. af after they go, you, you check that the heart's not beating anymore. So I went to yeah. listen with my stethoscope, but because the woman was absolutely hysterically crying, understandably, I couldn't hear, yes. I couldn't hear a heartbeat, but I couldn't be guaranteed that, that it had gone. So I thought I'll ch go check his palpebral, which um, yes. as for non-vets is, is the blink reflex um, on their yes. eyes. Anyway, with all these rolls of skin on his face, I couldn't, I couldn't find his eye. I was like rooting about with this dog in her arms, crying, prodding about aimlessly, trying to find a palpebral before the I woman think... screamed. I think you know where this is going, don't you? Yes, I know. I know where this is going. She Carry on. screamed at me that the dog had had both its eyes removed <laughs> last year. And how on earth could I not know that? And it was very embarrassing. So I think you get stories like that all the time, unfortunately, yeah, doing our job. <laughs> yes. And I'm guessing at 3 a.m. in the morning with poor light, I mean, uh, well done you for being two weeks in a job and finding a vein in a in an old in, in an elder pug. Uh, pug. yes which is yes, very very you. difficult i mean wow so uh, you are absolutely forgiven okay. for 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 not realizing that the eyes have been <laughs> been removed which is very common unfortunately in dogs and these are one of the the number one in the list of having eye problems and sometimes exactly yeah with, with and it's it, it's horrendous but yeah that's that's how sometimes ha happened have you not been um a vet what would you have been if i'd not been a vet I, uh, I mean if i'd got the same sort of qualifications from school and stuff i would have loved to be a surgeon a human surgeon a human um, surgeon oh wow okay yeah yeah i think I, I know that sounds really silly but it's really similar um but i'm obsessed with watching surgery programs on the tv um, and everything they do. I think it would annoy me that you are so specialist as a human surgeon, you know, that I, I love as vets that we get to do a bit of everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what I really wanted to do. What about you? Did you have any other career aspirations other than a vet? To be honest, I decided to be a vet when I was 17. I didn't have any aspirations <laughs> before that. Uh, and then when I went to, um, I have I have a friend, an old friend that now passed away. Um, and he, um, I asked him because he was a professor in, mm -hmm. in a university, but he was a professor of philosophy. His name, his name was Gerardo mm -hmm. and he, he has something in his, um, in his house and a big frame 
thing on uh, on his houses. In this house lives a communist, and it was um it was a, a very strong communist and uh, but a very intelligent person. Yeah. And I asked him, what what should I do with my qualifications? I like I like animals. I like computers. I like I like all these things. And he said, you like animals. Becoming a vet, you just need uh, your knowledge uh, and a suitcase, and you can explore the world. And then there'll be an animal that you can actually look after. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And um, and then I decided when I finished uh, the degree, I decided um, after a year uh, to travel the world. And my first stop was the UK. And then I stopped traveling the world. And <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I can't believe that your world travels made it to the UK. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the first stop, and then that were the the, the 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 world traveling stopped. <laughs> so because you know, I I found a good job here, and then uh, and I, and I really enjoyed what I found here, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's why that's why I did it. Um, what do you not like so much about being a vet? What's the what's the most difficult part? <sighs> I'd probably have to go a little bit serious there, unfortunately. I think it is probably having to see your colleagues struggle with the stress of the job and and their mental health and all those dark bits that come with it, really. I I just really wish that some, I mean, some clients, don't get me wrong, most clients are absolutely fantastic, but I think some don't quite understand how much care goes into their animals and how much time and actually it's often the more caring vets that get more badly affected by the stresses of it isn't it because they they care so much about yeah Yeah. they care so much and I I I just wish we didn't get this you know people have this misconception of vets don't they that we are money grabbing Um, yeah. people. Well, if everything if everything went into our pocket, it would be brilliant. But yes. the problem is, yes, but it doesn't. It definitely doesn't. Do you think about mental health problems, about abuse as well, or, or just being stressed about it? I think it's I think it's both, isn't it? I think it's it's really difficult. It's it's a hard job, and I think it's romanticised as as that James Harriet life that you wander about all day treating cows and dogs and uh, and everything's fine but I think a lot of people don't understand how stressful it is and that having a job that is so unpredictable can can yes, cause it's, it's, stress in that way can't it um yeah it's like it's like you said that we have so much responsibility sometimes mm. like like you said about and doctors a GP probably doesn't adventure inside the abdomen of a dog whereas <laughs> yeah. for us you know we, we do that regularly have, yeah we actually have to open a stomach uh, often just because a mm-hmm. uh, puppy is eating something that they shouldn't and, yeah. and then you end up doing abdominal surgery which is the same person who's doing the vaccinations which is not no usually how gps work i'm sure no definitely definitely um and i i think I think that is the beauty of it, the variety. It's I love that. And I love that I can be a surgeon one day and a GP the other day. But then, it, yes, you, you get the responsibility on top of it, don't you? Um, especially when you're on call or you're on your own in a practice. We don't have that team structure that a lot of hospitals and, and bigger industries would have. A friend of mine was saying that we are in, in, in day practice, we are running they practice alongside A and E at the same time. That's another thing that we tend <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, we are though. I often think that. And then I find people are shocked when I've 
seen their dog at 2 a.m. on Saturday night and they come in lunchtime on a Monday and they're like, you're still working? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Which is probably not something we should be too proud of. We probably need to make sure we, we only work enough hours, but not too many either. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else you don't like? Well, at least, rather than that you don't like, what would you change the profession if you could change anything? Oh, if I could change anything. This is going to, maybe this sounds a little bit radical. I was thinking about the, this the other day about would you make it a, either that veterinary would be like the NHS. So that would never work because people shouldn't pay, put their taxes towards their dogs and cats. So I was trying to think about it like that. And I was like, no, because Absolutely. that doesn't work because some people... Or should it be compulsory that to own a pet, you should insure it the same way you would a car? So I think it would just make my job. But the hardest thing is when people can't afford to do stuff and you have to yeah. compromise in order to meet people's budget. I mean, we've recently been dealing with a case, bless it, of a dog that had eaten a load of carpets. So we had to go in and, and do an X-lap and ended up doing an enterotomy in five different places for for those for those who don't know an an x lab would be exploratory laparotomy opening Sorry. the abdomen so yes. the belly and yes. then enterotomy is to actually remove part of the intestines yes so we opened lots of five parts of the intestines well my, one of my colleagues did to remove all these bits of carpet closed the dog all back up i mean the the dog was in hospital with us for days and we did fluids it was really sick it ended up getting a peritonitis which is an infection of its abdomen which unfortunately we had to reopen the dog up and at this point the owners had spent three thousand pounds and the dog isn't insured it's a farm dog and unfortunately in the end it had to be put to sleep because of it and i find these really hard because in human medicine that wouldn't happen, you know. They would treat the parents. It wouldn't happen in, in the UK, but it may happen no. in other countries. <laughs> it may happen because in, we, yes, yes, because we do have the NHS, and there are other places that they, they work differently. Uh, yeah, and insurance for every, a, a compulsory insurance would be a good thing, but then would, we would have to regulate the, the insurers probably a bit better, <laughs> I guess. That's true. I mean, there's no perfect solution, is there? It's... No, there is no perfect solution, of course. I because I um um. I'm terrible and I look through people's social media profiles. Mm -hmm. I looked at, at yours mm -hmm. uh, and then I I looked at um, uh, cropped ears, right? Oh. Um, which is quite a difficult thing nowadays. I, I started to see more cropped ears um, lately. Um, do you do you want to, to, to say about cropped ears? Yeah. What, what do you think was happening and, and why? Oh, it's just awful, isn't it? So it's one of those things that really makes my blood boil even thinking about it, really. So for for listeners that don't know, um, cropping a dog's ear in the UK is illegal. It has been for over 100 years. It's a process in which they take off the corner of the ear for no reason other than aesthetic purposes. Some of these ear croppers argue that, oh, it's it helps with ear infections. There are no no studies to prove that. And if and or oh we, we chop part of the ear off because then it doesn't get caught. But again, not true because a, a floppy ear next to your face is much less likely to get caught in something than one sticking straight into the air. But unfortunately in the UK, I definitely, I don't know about you, but I've seen much more 
dogs with cropped ears coming in and they're being imported from other countries. Yes, the, the, and... the problem I, I see here is I, I had um, a couple of them mm-hmm. not cropped properly. I, I don't think you can even yes. crop it properly because you shouldn't do it in the first place. Um, but I seen a couple of them that they are bleeding and they're not very well. Mm-hmm. The problem I get is the, the, owner, the owner of the dog uh, um, is is saying that and on all their honesty they are rescuing the dog and they are trying to make the dog life better because mm-hmm. they have found the dog somewhere else and then it's a really difficult conversation because I don't want to tell that person off because yeah. really he's trying to look after the dog he's saving the dog from someone who cropped the ear in the first place mm-hmm. but uh, then the dog is going to be in the street and then it's going to become an image that people want to follow, right? So it's, it's like when you put things on TV, people mm-hmm. see it and then they want the same, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how would you go about that? I think it's it's difficult. I, I guess you have to have some argument in that if you are paying for a dog with a crop tier, a lot of people, and rightly so, think that, that they're saving them. But it's the same as when you buy from a a puppy farm you're not really saving the puppy from puppy farming you are fueling the puppy farming and you're fueling these breeders that are either doing it themselves illegally or or importing them which is a really really difficult conversation to have with a client and, and most people who own these dogs are caring people and think they're doing the right thing and maybe don't quite understand the significance of the dog having the crop tier. and i think the hardest thing is is social media at the moment these influencers as they're called on Instagram and and Facebook who have huge followings buying these dogs with crop tears and posting photos of them and then therefore people want them don't they because yes it's desirable um desirable because they because they're influencers that's yes and that's what they do (laughs) yes exactly um so I think there are petitions and things like that against this is that right yeah, there is. There's, there's been one that the government have been doing. I think they've got to about 80,000 signatures and they need 100,000 for it to go through in Parliament. It has um, to be debated. To be debated, yeah. The the problem is it's taking longer than it should to get up to 100,000 signatures, I feel, which yeah. which means that it's not in the public eye enough. I know the BBC did a bit of an article on it, um, but we just need to educate more people so that they understand that it's a cruel process and that actually you're not you're not rescuing a dog as such because if there's a demand that then there will, people will supply it won't they absolutely um i want to ask you as well um what's your plan for the future in general in life is it something you are hoping for as I said before, I really love surgery, so I would love to either specialise in it or do a certificate and, and focus on it a bit more. But I love my job and I'm very lucky that way. And I do think having something outside of work keeps that stability. So I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I would, the same as you, I'd quite like to travel. I, I worked for a, a period in India um doing oh, wow. like a yeah doing like a you know like a neuter clinic um uh-huh. but we did we ended up doing a lot of leg amputations and sort of trauma work oh, actually i see and i i loved it i loved the pace and and there was no we actually didn't have to think about money really because we just did what we had available to us it was, um, was it like a charity or yeah it was a charity and um, it was in Ahmedabad in india it's not somewhere you would visit as a tourist I just found it uh-huh. fascinating. I mean, we amputated a cow's leg 
because we obviously you oh, wow. can't put them to sleep out there. So we had a cowman that had been hit by a car, yeah. And um, we had to amputate its leg because it had broken all its bones. And they said, no, no, you cannot put this to sleep. And I wasn't even sure if it was going to be able to stand on three legs. I didn't know if the mechanics would work, but it was fine. It did absolutely It was fine. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I, I never knew about this. Um, how long did you stay there? Uh, just a month, so not too long. Um, but got to see India. Amazing places, um, full of culture and yeah, did, did real sort of trauma work, a lot of neutering as well, which as, you know, as a younger vet then, so it was good practice. Um, to get did you do it to actually get into um, more clinical work or more surgery? Yeah, or... yeah, more, yeah, more surgery practice, really, which sounds bad, I think, sometimes, doesn't it? That is practice, but, but these animals really didn't have anything else. Yeah, you, you wanted to improve your skills and your yeah. animals needed you anyway. So yeah. I don't think there is any ethical problem with that. No, and I remember the worst thing I saw when I was there um, was this little dog that wandered about the practice all the time. It must have lived locally and it had had it had, had a wound on its belly that someone who, who had worked there before me had dealt with. So I didn't really know anything about it. And on my third day there... The little dog walked into the surgery, pottering about, then it threw up, and then all its intestines fell out of its abdomen in front of me, um, wow. all over the floor. And we had to, like, I mean, it was a really dirty practice. We had to get it on the table, clean everything up, put it back in, and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. It did really The well. dog survived. Yeah, the dog survived and was wow. back at the practice every day, pottering about and eating. So it's really amazing what you can do, especially in such dirty conditions as there are out there. But um, it was very rewarding. Yeah, it was really good. So I agree. Well, Travelling is, is a real big advantage of the job, definitely. Was, was it dogs, cats, cows? Was it everything then? Yeah, everything. They even had some buzzards in, not that I dealt with them at all. They, they had them because there's some kite festival there. So they, uh -huh. they locals, they release loads of kites up into the air. Um, but unfortunately, they have loads of buzzards in the area and the buzzards get tangled in all these kites and uh -huh. come crashing down with wing injuries. So we were just changing bandages and... Um, keeping them there as a rehabilitation until they were ready to fly off again. Okay. Crazy, crazy place. <laughs> you were with other um, Indian vets or British vets from other countries? Or? We had, um, it was me and two friends who I'd gone to university with, and they had one vet who serviced the the whole area, which was massive. It was sort of like a, the size of a county, who spoke no English. So his only things he could say was good, good. So he used to watch you do something <laughs> and just go, good, good. <laughs> that was it. That was all of our communication. <laughs> and if you can't say bad, then everything's good. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everything was good. Um, and then he would pop in for like one or two hours a day and that was it, really. He just had to Google any medications and what they might be. We brought a lot of stuff over as well sort of outdate bandages and things like that to help them oh wow mm. we have talked for for uh for some minutes about about the job about being mm -hmm. a vet but part of i wanted to do this podcast about is to show people that we're not just vets we are mm -hmm. more than just vets um and then uh, when you send me your email about your hobbies you were thinking about about well you run you like running and yeah. i found that 
really interesting because mm -hmm. I used to run, I'm not run, running uh, that much now, uh, but you want to do, is it an Ironman, right? Yeah, it is. I, I'm a huge runner. I absolutely love running. It is the one way I can switch off from work is knowing that I'm going to come home and go for a run outside, listen to my music, not have my phone on me, just switch off from the world. And yeah, sometimes I think about a case or, you know, a complicated you medical do, case. You do, don't Yeah, but I don't, I, it's my time and I absolutely love it. And I've always been a runner. And I also quite like cycling, so I do a little bit of mountain biking, especially with some of my friends who are really keen mountain bikers. We like to go and do trails together. The only, uh, and I've done a lot of marathons. I've maybe done, how many marathons? I've done five marathons now. I had two cancelled rush wow. weeks of COVID, yeah. Um, so I thought the next step up would be to do an Ironman, um, naturally, <laughs> which for those that don't know is, is a quite a long triathlon. It's got a, yes. a swim at the start, and it's got an over 100-mile bike ride and then a marathon to end with. Um, my biggest worry is that I'm not the biggest swimmer. I've got all this lower body strength in my legs, but I have no upper body strength. So the swim is the bit that scares me the most. It's open water, so you're out. Yes. And it can be freezing well, cold. And yes, when I when I talk to people, that's what they always are more worried about. I, I have, have you done any... Um, triathlons or, or not yes i've done triathlons never of that distance just of like a standard olympic distance and and they and yes. i usually i usually tactically pick one so there's a swimming pool rather than an open water <laughs> swim in the uk that's which is um, <laughs> that's very clever i i, I remember i did a, a triathlon uh, mm -hmm. around uh, nottinghamshire and then it was one of these sprint ones which again you got to do it in the swimming pool first and i, yeah. I and before you you enter you you book your your slot and they ask you how long do you think it's going to take you to swim this yes. distance and, yes. I, and i got it wrong and i actually put too much time so okay. i was one of the begin the beginners at the, at the beginning because they put the mm -hmm. fastest people at the back mm -hmm. so when i finished the triathlon the running i went through the finish line and i was the first going through the finish no. line of course i wasn't winning that i wasn't <laughs> because there was a lot of people coming. and the people at the at the finish line thought i won it <laughs> And I said, no, no, I have not won this. There is a lot of people coming behind me. They are a lot faster. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's that, like the that opposite. When you, when you do a marathon, they put you, it's the fastest people right at the front, and then they yes. put you in order of speed. So I tend yes. to try to um, downplay my marathon times whenever I do it. So I put a slower time so that I spend uh -huh. the whole marathon overtaking people overtaking and feeling myself which i know is really bad but that, that's how i like to do it yeah I, the running is the biggest passion definitely what's your next marathon or is next is gonna be an ironman well they've all got moved because of covid, COVID so my yeah. unfortunately last year i was meant to do manchester marathon and also chicago marathon but they both right. got moved to October on exactly the same day this year. So I'm gonna okay. do <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna do Manchester this year because it's in the UK and there's no risk of having yes. to go abroad. And then luckily yes. Chicago have allowed you to move it to the year after. So I'm gonna go to Chicago the year after. And um, which I'm oh, really fantastic. looking forward to. Chicago there's there's like a world marathon series of like the six biggest marathons um in the world. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But it's Boston, New York, Chicago, Berlin, Tokyo, and London. So uh -huh. I have done Berlin and I have done London. And then I'm going to do Chicago. I'm hopefully going to complete all six. But, but 
you know, they require traveling all over the world. And I just think that's such I a great see. way to see the world. Brilliant. I think I would yeah. sign up for that if I managed to complete that marathon properly. Yes. I only done one. I did the, the Robin Hood here in, in Nottinghamshire. Mm -hmm. And um, I, well, I I done a few half half marathons, mm -hmm. which I managed to do okay. Uh, when I reached uh, 20 miles, I thought, brilliant. There is only six miles to go. That's 10K. Mm -hmm. I'm going to finish this. Um, I was over the moon and I thought, but well, I'm so tired. I'm just going to slow down and walk for 100 meters and, and see. And that was the stupidest decision I ever made. Because when I started to try to run again, everything ate. Hurts, yes. All your lactic and acid thought, built up. <laughs> yes. And I thought, why did I ever stop? And the last 10K, which, you know, when you go, I'm going to go for a, run, for a 10K run. You think, well, that's, that's easy. Mm -hmm. At that time every every 50 meter had to stop and walk and then run again and i was trying shying away from the spectators you know try to make sure people didn't see me uh, walking around uh, <laughs> and, and i just got enough energy to complete the last kilometers running so pretending that look i run oh, the, yeah, whole thing. Doing this the whole time <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you learn a lot about they do say that the real race starts at 20 miles for a marathon. So there you go. You <laughs> you decided, you oh, I'll just walk a bit, but your body said otherwise. <laughs> exactly. And and uh, if, you, if you want any, any other funny story, were you talking about open water? Mm -hmm. um, I, I did one Olympic um, triathlon. Um, and, and, and yes, you start with the water and it was in the middle of July, but it was really cold, you know, the weather in the UK is very unpredictable. It's not like um, Spain. <laughs> of course not. And and when I was very cold outside and, and the guys were telling instructions, you're going to get into the water. And I thought, I don't know if I should be going into the water. I'm very cold. And uh, I got into the water. The water was warmer than the outside. And I thought, wow, that was fantastic. And it's something that never never experienced before and it was like you were with your wetsuit and yeah. outside freezing in cold getting to the water the water was actually warmer i couldn't believe it oh, well this is what i need to hear i need this encouragement to do my iron man <laughs> i was planning on booking it somewhere warm like spain in order so that the water was warmer yes. <laughs> but maybe yeah. i need the south of england that might work in the middle of summer yeah. the, the people who I, I spoke to about because i spoke to a, a few people about about this they always said look don't worry about the swim it's the first part if you're strong enough to do the other two the swim is the one that you're not going to be that bothered about when yeah. when you finish the swim then you'll be tired and then you'll be bothered about the other two yeah. because it's always the same isn't it it's swim bike run exactly um, and have you have you going to do um a half iron man first because there, there is like halves as well yeah, you don't the, have to go the full 70.3 i think it's got yes and yeah, that was my it's called plan. that i've got a friend yes. who's who i do a lot of training with and he's done the half one already without me um and he's like oh we'll just go straight to a full but i'm like mm, i think i'll ease my way in and do a half first um yeah. it's the swim i'm worried about but i and the good thing about doing the swim first is then you can look forward to the cycling and the run. Whereas I'd be yeah. constantly dreading the swim if it was at the end. I think it's also yeah, not definitely. at the end so you don't drown, which makes sense. It's the, that, that's the reason, isn't it? It's just it some people be. don't drown. It's so that oh, people aren't knackered and then drown in the open water. Oh. I presume so, because that wouldn't be ideal. <laughs> it does make sense, doesn't it? It does. It makes you know, sense. If you're yeah. super tired, then, then yeah. could you drown? Let's not drown. <laughs> yes, very strong yes. possibility. But yeah, I'm wondering whether to first, because the running is the main passion, is to first try an ultramarathon 
see how that goes, which is uh, like longer than a marathon, see how that goes. Yes. And if I can manage that, then surely I can manage an Ironman, you know, because if I can do further than a marathon running, that that's my logic in it all. <laughs> I don't know what an ultramarathon is. An ultramarathon is any distance that's significantly longer than a marathon. So you can sort of do a a 50 miler so that's a double marathon i mean some people are crazy and they'll do a 100 mile ultramarathon which is in a day in a day <laughs> which is almost four marathons i think when you get to the stage where you're doing 100 mile ultramarathons there must be you must be doing some walking in it um in order to keep going for that long surely i mean having we've both done a marathon is pretty tiring to then times yeah. it by four <laughs> And then you um, just step, spend the next week recovering from it. I think it would take me longer than a week to recover from a hundred mile. I don't think I'd be back at work. That's for sure. I'd be hobbling about. You need to book your uh, your ultra marathon and then the, the few days after, so you can actually uh, rest at home to recover from it. Yeah, well, or at least be allowed to operate sitting down or something. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was more thinking of doing like a fifty mile ultra marathon. Yeah, um, and there's some really nice ones in Yorkshire. And I think the nice thing about an ultra marathon rather than a marathon is a lot less people do them. They tend to be in really beautiful places like hilly and mountainous, but therefore well, are they not- road? Yeah, no, they tend to be trail. They tend to be trail Ah. rather than road, which you might think, oh, that's harder. But actually, because it's it's trail and because it's a mountain, I don't think people really care what time you do it in. Whereas when you do a marathon, people are always like, oh, what time did you do it in? Whereas an ultramarathon, you can be like, well, I went up and down this mountain and it was double a marathon. So no one minds what time you finish it in. It's just Oh, it doesn't matter. Fun. It doesn't no, matter doesn't how, matter. how long it took you to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, the distance is more important. Yeah. How many miles do you run a week, let's say? Um it's variable. Um I do two I always do two nights with my running club a week. Um yeah. I, uh, which I love. I can if I'm not training for a marathon, I tend to do like 40 kilometers a week which isn't very much and then if i'm in full isn't it <laughs> and then if i'm in okay full, if i'm in full marathon training i mean it can be like up to eight in peak times like 80 kilometers 90 kilometers a week you're doing long runs i tend to run wow um, training for a marathon i'll do like five minimum five runs a week five six runs something like that and then in between so i really do love it and um, people at work laugh at me um but it's it's my release you know I had um, a, a lot of my colleagues to run. A lot of the the nurses and and, and mm-hmm. vets I work with, they, they they love it as well. They they run and they all friends to each other in Strava and they all mm-hmm. looking at each other. Think they absolutely love running. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a it's a big thing. Um, yeah. And I, I I do believe, like you said, that it helps switching off and you know think about other things and particularly during COVID when you can't really go anywhere anyway. Yeah. Then at least you can go and run. Yeah, I found loads of people have taken up running in COVID as well, which is not, Strava's my favourite form of social media, and now lots more people <laughs> yeah. have it, so it's great. <laughs> people always used to laugh at me for having Strava and loving it so much, and now everybody's Everyone using it. it. Yeah, because yeah. they can't go to the pub, so they're running instead. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Kate, thank you for coming into the show. <laughs> no problem at all. I've had a fabulous time. And that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope it gave you a little bit more understanding of who veterinary professionals are behind the scenes. 
Also, if you are involved in the veterinary profession and want to be interviewed in the show, visit the podcast website morethanjustabet.net and fill the form in the contact section. Tell me a little bit about you in the message, including your hobbies and why do you want to take part. Hasta la próxima!